So kicking off a brand new series this morning, uh, The Jesus I Know. And and here's what happens to me. It happens pretty regularly, at least for for me and uh, the profession that I I have chosen as far as being a pastor leading a local church. Happens on airplanes. It happens when I'm getting my hair cut. It happens with the civic organizations I'm part of. I'll sit down. There will be somebody else that sits next to me. And I don't know if I have it written on my face. I don't know if it's just the likable vibe that I give off. But people feel like they can share everything about their life in some random stranger kind of context. right? It even happened a few weeks ago where sat down and this person just didn't know them at all, just started sharing, here's my life story, and just vomited out all that's happening, and man, this struggle, and this addiction, and kids hate me for this, and my third spouse on this, and I'm just like, interesting, wow, tell me more, right, and then something happens, it happens every single time, they tell all of this stuff, and I'm so, again, I don't know why people feel like they can do that with me, but I'm glad they can, But then this happens and they like shift without a clutch and they say, so what exactly do you do? And and I'm telling you, there's like this awkward moment for me of, I don't really want to tell you what I do because I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen next. (laughs) Because here's what tends to happen. There tends to be two responses after this person willingly just just vomited their life story and all the troubles and difficulties that they're facing. And I say, oh, I'm so glad you asked. I'm a pastor at a local church just down the street. I usually get one of two things, but this happens first. Eyes this big. It's like, I can't believe I just told a pastor everything that I've ever done. What was I thinking? How could I? Usually that's the direction that happens, right? I'm just sitting here. I'm like, here it comes. I'm a pastor. Wait for it. (laughs) I know it's going to happen. The other side of it, and I think this just comes out of like that nervous, awkward moment because you don't know what to say. Sometimes they look at me and they say, I'm sorry. And I'm like, for what? <laughs> I'm not sure why you're apologizing to me. But, but here's, here's my heart behind that. And here's why I tell you that. And the reason we're doing this series, I wish with all of my heart that when somebody shared everything that they've gone through in their life and they look over at me and they say, so what is it that you do? I said, well, I'm a pastor at a local church. I wish, and I've never had this happen, I wish they would say, oh, thank goodness. Oh, I just shared all of that. At least a pastor's the one that heard it. You guys, I don't exactly know what you believe in, but I hear you're really nice and friendly. Thank goodness I talked to you instead of somebody else. I wish that happened, but it doesn't, does it? And for whatever reason, when we sit next to somebody in conversation and Jesus or church or Christianity or beliefs in general come out, What tends to happen is it gets real tense, doesn't it? And everybody's got a different idea, description, definition, interpretation of what Jesus means, who Jesus is in my life. So the point of this series between now and Easter is very, very simple. I just want to share the Jesus I know. As your pastor, as somebody, if you were to sit down and have coffee with me or in an airplane or getting a haircut and you just ask me random questions about Jesus, here's the Jesus I know. Now, what I don't want to have happen is you just to show up on a Sunday and say, oh, that's Brian's Jesus. Yeah, I like that Jesus. I want you to show up on a Sunday like, no, no, no. What about my Jesus? I care more about the Jesus you know. And this Sunday morning is great. And we should not neglect meeting together. Scripture even tells us that. We encourage one another. We get to be with one another. We have friends that show up here. It's good job security for me, for you to continue to show up. All those are really good reasons. 
for you to be at church on Sunday. But don't miss the other six days, the Monday through Saturday, because that's where you really should be leaning into the Jesus you know. Sunday, you get to hear the Jesus I know, but on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, I want you leaning into the Jesus that you know. So maybe you're going to rediscover Jesus through this series. Yeah, I grew up in knowing Jesus, and I've heard about Jesus, and I know some of the Jesus stories. Well, would you be willing to put on some fresh eyes and rediscover Jesus? If, if all of this is new, like Patrick was saying earlier, man, you're, you're still trying to figure out this whole Jesus thing, then I'm excited for you to discover Jesus for the first time. So here's the way I'm going to help with that. Because me preaching at you for the next 25 minutes is not going to help you with the Jesus you know. It's me telling you about my Jesus that I know. So on your way out, you're going to get a bookmark. And I know what you're thinking. People still use bookmarks. Don't think of it as a bookmark then. It's just a small piece of paper that you can hang on to. How about that? So here's what's on this bookmark. It is going to give you a Bible reading plan. If you wanted to learn more about Jesus and discover or rediscover the Jesus that you personally know, guess what you're going to have to do? you're going to have to actually dig in. And I'm praying you will actually take me up on this. So between now and Easter Sunday, we're going to go through the entire book, the Gospel of Luke. There's 24 chapters in the Gospel of Luke, starting from his birth all the way to his death and his resurrection. That's going to lead you right into Easter Sunday. And if you will read one chapter out of Luke a day, Monday through Saturday, I'll give you a break on Sunday since you have to listen to me preach. How about that? Monday through Saturday, if you will read a chapter a day, you will finish chapter 24 the Saturday before Easter. So if you walk through that, I'm not gonna necessarily preach on everything within Luke. This is for you on your own. And we'll interact on social media. I'll post a few videos here and there, but I want you to discover or rediscover the Jesus you know, and not just take my word for it. Deal? Does that make sense? So be here on Sunday. We're gonna have a lot of fun going through this series, but don't miss the other six days. Monday through Saturday, would you be willing to rediscover or discover not the Jesus that you heard me talk about, but the Jesus you know and are discovering maybe for the first time or for the hundredth time, the Jesus that truly is the Jesus that we get to know. So to begin with the Jesus that I know, you're here, so I guess you want to hear about what I think about it, head over to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, if you don't have your Bibles, we'll put the verses on the screen for you. John chapter 8 is this fascinating story, and this has meant a lot to me in my life because it really helps me understand how I interact not just with Jesus and he interacts with me, but also, we talked about the one another's, if you were here during our relationship series last month, how we interact with one another. And that's a big topic for us today. Well, with all the freedom of religion and freedom of speech and, and all of those little buzzwords, how do we interact with God? How does he interact with us? But then what do we do with one another? Let me help you see the Jesus I know. John chapter 8, starting in verse 2. It says, at dawn... He, talking about Jesus, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Now hold up there for a second, understand what's going on. This was pretty common that people brought other people to Jesus. Keep reading through the gospels. If you read through Luke, like I'm encouraging you to for the next six weeks or, so, or four to five weeks, what you're gonna discover is lots of people brought other people to Jesus. The reason was Jesus could do all kinds of stuff that people couldn't explain. So if somebody was sick, they would bring somebody that was sick to Jesus. If somebody was hurting, they would bring the hurting person to Jesus. If they had any problem, they brought that person with the problem to Jesus in hopes of, oh, Jesus, would you be willing to do something about it? Could you help? Could you fix? Could you take care of? Jesus was kind of a problem solver in a lot of those people's eyes. So bring Jesus a problem. If I have a problem, I come to Jesus. But what the religious leaders do is the same thing. We have a problem, 
but they do it with the very wrong heart. In fact, they bring this poor woman caught in the act of adultery and throw her into, and again, they're in the temple courts. It's like bringing somebody in, just throwing them down here at the front of church on Sunday. Hey, we have a problem. And they look at Jesus, like, so what are you going to do about it? They bring a problem, but with the wrong heart, the wrong motivation, and look at the scene that begins to take place. It says, they made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So again, they're presenting what they would call a problem to Jesus, and they're sitting back saying, okay, Jesus, what are you going to do about this? What are you going to do now? The law says that if you are caught in this act, this act of adultery, because of this sin, well, the law states that she has to be executed. So Jesus, what do you do with this problem? What are you going to do to fix it? And it's interesting that the religious leaders, the Pharisees, Pharisees is another uh, sect of religious leaders for the Jewish religion in those days. What was interesting is they used the law against somebody else. Now, that's an interesting way to view it because it really perverts God's purpose for the law. They brought the law up and said, because of what the law says, she must be punished. And that goes against God's actual purpose and intent of the law. In fact, Paul says this, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. He says, For no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. How's that for an encouraging Sunday morning? No one can do what's right. The bar is set so high. The standard is so high. No one will ever meet that standard of perfection. And so here's the purpose. Why then do we have it? Paul says this, The law simply shows how sinful we are. That's it. Now, key word there is we, not they. The law simply shows how sinful we are, not they are. And the Pharisees brought this woman, held up the standard in the law, says, she doesn't match. She doesn't fit. She is below the standard, so therefore something must be done. And Paul says, no, no, that's not how we use the law. Now, I'm going to bring up an idea here, and this is just all hypothetical. I'm sure it's never happened to you. Of course, it would never have happened to me. But hypothetically speaking, if you're driving up 400, you know where it goes from 65 to 55, right? And, and it changes speed pretty quick. And hypothetically speaking, you pass into Dawson County where it's now 55 and you start to see blue lights flashing behind you. Not that that would have ever happened to any of us, ever. But if that were to happen, you feel something, don't you? As soon as you see those lights, you start to feel, you're like, I did something wrong. Well, of course you did something wrong. You know you did something wrong. Officer pulls you over, he comes up, and then he asks a pretty dumb question. Do you not know why I pulled you over? And all of us would say, oh, I, I did something terribly wrong, right? No, of course. You're probably like, no, I had no clue. Of course you had a clue. That's why there's speed limits. There was a speed limit sign that said 65 and then 55. And when you looked down, when you saw the blue lights, you were going 85. So it gives you a good understanding that you are above the speed limit. The reason we have a speed limit sign is to tell us if we are above or below it, to let us know if we are breaking it or abiding by it. That's what Paul is saying. The, the, the law that has been given to us does one thing. It shows us that we are inadequate. And it helps us know one thing. We are in desperate need of a Savior. See, unless we truly see ourselves as below that bar, that below that bar of perfection, that we are, in fact, all sinners, if we don't see that, we will never fully recognize and realize our need for a Savior if we don't see it. So these Pharisees, they bring this woman that says, well, she needs help. 
She has a problem failing to notice their own faults, their own issues. Look at what Jesus does here. I love this. After they had her stand before him, they said, so what do we do, Jesus? What do you say? But Jesus, look at what he does. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, any who heard, any of those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with a woman standing there. Now, I love this part because Jesus does something we wouldn't expect. Here, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, bring this woman. They start quoting the law. Here's what we should do. Here's what we have to do. Here's what the law says. So Jesus, what are you going to do? And we would expect Jesus to start teaching or explaining or quoting the law or rebuking the Pharisees. But what Jesus does is, is absolutely fascinating. He doesn't say a thing. In fact, it's almost like he ignores them. Notice what it says here. It says, but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. Do you get any more disrespectful than that? They're asking you a question, and it's a big scene in the middle of the temple courts. And Jesus ignores them and starts what I think he was doing. We have no idea what he was writing in the sand. I think he was just doodling. <laughs> I think he was just drawing pictures. I've got better things to do with my time than deal with this again. What he doesn't say is, oh, wow, you're right. This is a big problem. I can't believe it. Oh, thank you so much, Pharisees and religious leaders, for bringing this dire, this dire problem to my attention. Yes, it must be fixed right away. No, he ignores them. And I think out of sheer annoyance, he actually responds to them. Look at what it says. But Jesus bent down, started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, them, him then he said something. In other words, Jesus, what are we going to do? Still writing in the sand. Jesus, don't you see this big problem? Still writing in the sand. Jesus, why don't you tell us what you would do? And he keeps writing in the sand. Time and time again, Jesus, what do you do? Jesus, what do you do? Jesus, what do you do? And he doesn't say a thing. Until finally, again, I think out of sheer annoyance, he says, well, one sentence. Let any one of you that is without sin be the first to throw a stone at. He doesn't acknowledge them. He doesn't, this is important too, he doesn't disagree with the fact that it's a problem or a sin. He just says, I'm going to redirect your focus of the sin. That's huge. He redirects their focus. He doesn't answer their question. He says, let me redirect it. You're asking the wrong question, in other words. He moves their eyes from her sin to their own. He moves their eyes and their focus from them, from, from her to themselves and internally. He says, you've got to shift your sight. Move your vision. Change where you are looking. Look at what Jesus does next. So one by one, after that one sentence, he goes back to writing in the sand, writing in the dirt. and says, one by one, he started to drop. Imagine being in this woman's, this woman's mind for a moment dragged out, caught in the act of adultery, thrown into the middle of this temple courts. You know what the law says. You know what the punishment is to be. And so your eyes are closed. Your eyes are clenched. You're just waiting for those stones, that execution to be thrown at you. And you hear Jesus finally, after all of these questions, finally Jesus says one sentence, and you're not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. Let any one of you without sin throw the first stone. And he's like, wait, wait, wait. Did he just give them permission? <laughs> 
eyes closed, clenching, waiting for the impact of that first stone that will eventually lead to her death. But she hears something instead of feels something. I would imagine her eyes still closed and she hears the sound of stones dropping all around her. One after another and then multiples. She gets the nerve to open her eyes. When she opens them, she just sees Jesus. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Now that last part, that's what we've been waiting to get to. There's the Jesus I know. Now if you're taking notes or you want to write this down, there's going to be three things. So if you want to go like maybe write one, two, three. Jesus speaks to three different groups of people here. Let me read it again, see if you can pick it out. Jesus straightened up and he looked at her and he asked her, woman, where are, who was it? Do you remember what it was? Where are they? They's your first one. He says, where are they? That whole crowd, Jesus speaks to the crowd, talking about the crowd. Where are they? Well, they haven't condemned you. And then he starts to speak about himself. He says, well, neither do, what was the word next? Neither do I. Yes, he's going to talk about himself. In the last part, he doesn't say it, but it's a command. It's actually a demand. He's talking to her. So he's going to speak to the they. He's going to speak to himself, about himself, and he's going to talk directly to this woman. That first part, where are, what was it again? Where are who? They. And that basically the they, it's that whole crowd. It's the religious leaders. It's the Pharisees. It's the, it's the they that brought this woman here in the first place. It was the they that was holding up the law, saying there needs to be punishment, perverting the use and the purpose of God's law to begin with. How do we interact with the they? What is Jesus' point here? Now, if you'll allow me, again, this is the Jesus I know, so let me give you my perspective. And I'm not going to give you my opinion. I'm going to go through scriptures, but here's what you need to know about what I'm about to read you. Don't you dare take me out of context. There's a lot of scripture here, and I've got 12 minutes left. So if you want to get out of here on time, I'm going to have to go through these kind of fast. (laughs) Deal? So after each one of these passages, Jump back in without me and look at the rest of the context. Context is important. But what I think you're going to see is how they interact. Because even though we don't use these words, we're asking this same question today. It's a hot topic for us today. How do they deal with her? They meaning the religious leaders and the pious and those that are followers. How do they deal with this individual who obviously is caught in something wrong. This is not a discussion on right or wrong. It's how they handle it. So let me turn it around on us as Christians, as followers. If you consider yourself a follower and a believer, we're the they for a moment. How do we deal with a situation like this? How should we? Is it holding up the law? Or is there another way that Jesus is showing us? See, here might be a way that we ask this question. And maybe you've asked this or maybe it's just gone through in your mind. As a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you've asked this question. As a follower, as a believer of Jesus, how do I act and treat others in a world where some people live and think and believe differently than me? That's the big question, right? If I'm following Jesus, well, how do I live in this world? How do I act in this world? How do I treat others in this world when not everyone believes, thinks, and acts and lives like me? That's the bigger question. That's the bigger question. So let me speak to it, because Jesus spoke to it when he said they, that they is us. Here's what I do know. Again, not my opinion, 
but don't take it out of context. Keep reading through. Matthew 7, verse 1. Jesus' words say, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you used, it will be measured to you. Now keep reading, and you see again a redirection of focus. It moves away from her and moves to me. It's exactly what he did with this, this scene in this situation here. Changing our focus away from the individual and focusing it back on me. Right? Now look at what he says. So we don't judge. Pretty clear. He just says the words, do not judge. Matthew 18, 15 says this though. Jesus' words, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. Now keep reading. You see a progression there. Did you catch the between the two of you piece? Because here's what us as Christians are super, super good at. We ask for prayer for other people. You know what that really means, right? Can I tell you what somebody else is doing? <laughs> can I give you, can I, that's, that's our way as a church person. That's our way of gossiping or throwing someone under the bus without saying it. Because we, well, can I, we just pray for them? No, between the two of us. So understand what Jesus' words, both of these are Jesus' words. We don't judge, but guess what else? We don't ignore it either. And that's a really difficult line to walk. We don't judge, but we don't ignore it. Nowhere in here is Jesus ignoring the sin. Nowhere in here is he ignoring or even condoning the sin. But we see our, our world, what we live, the way that we live is we don't judge and we don't, but we don't ignore it. John 1.14, this gives us insight into exactly who Jesus is. The word, that's another way, another name for Jesus. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of, and say this with me, full of what? Grace and, one more time, full of, and, full of grace and truth. Both of these. Now understand, it's not grace this time and then truth this time. It's not a 50-50. It's not a balance out grace and truth. It's full grace and full truth. And Jesus does this perfectly. Guess who doesn't do it perfectly? Us, the vase. We don't do this perfectly. And we know that. We need to know that about ourselves. And so the question then is, okay, Jesus, we don't judge, but we don't ignore the sin. You do it perfectly by being full of both grace and truth, but I'm not going to do that perfectly. So how am I supposed to do this? I'm glad you asked that question because Jesus put it in the Bible for us. Here it is. John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. Here's his words. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now don't miss this next part. Lean in. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. So there's my lane. We don't judge. We don't ignore we cannot be perfect like Jesus and being full of grace and truth. So where's our lane? Well, that's what John 13 says. It's what Jesus says. Love one another. The way that Jesus has loved us, now we love one another. And it goes back to my heart. What I wish would be the case that if we do those things, then that's what we are known for. As people who go to church, people who believe in Jesus, are we known more for throwing stones or known more for the people that we love? Now, like I said, we just finished this series on real relationships, and we talked a lot about that command of loving one another. Let me put these up on the screen for you. If you weren't here for it, no worries. Take a picture of it if you want. These are the one another's we find in the New Testament. In other words, how do we love one another? Jesus commanded us, so go love one another as I've loved you. Love one another. Here's how we actually do that. 
Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony. Look at that one. Stop passing judgment on one another. You go through these one another's, you know what's not in here? Judge one another. Condemn one another. Point out everybody else's faults in one another. That's what you don't see. Time and time again, Jesus gives us our lane. We don't judge. We don't ignore it. We love because we cannot be like Jesus and be full of grace and truth. We're going to do our best, but we're not going to do it perfectly. So our lane is to love. And here's what you need to know about loving one another. You don't have to agree with somebody to love them. Jesus actually says, in fact, love your enemies. Well, I don't agree with my enemies. <laughs> I don't know if you do or not. So loving goes beyond just agreeing. Loving goes beyond just beliefs. You don't have to sacrifice your beliefs to love somebody else. You don't have to say, well, what you're doing is right to love somebody else. Nowhere in here does Jesus condone what this woman has done in her lifestyle. Nowhere does he do that. What does he do? He says, well, they don't condemn you. Now let's go to the I. He says, neither do, and who was it? I. Now don't miss this. It said, neither do I, and there's this real important phrase right afterwards. It doesn't say Jesus said, Jesus thought, Jesus passed by and said. No, it says, Jesus declared. You gotta, you gotta take that home and pay put that in your heart, that neither do I condemn you part, you've got to make that your own. That's how he views us, that even though you deserve it, he says, I don't give it to you. See, Jesus doesn't skirt around the issue of right and wrong. He doesn't skirt around the issue of sin. Sin is a big deal. Don't mishear me. He's not ignoring it. He's not lowering the bar. We talked about the standard and that bar. He's not lowering it. All he's doing is saying, I'm going to take care of it. Jesus doesn't ignore the severity of sin. He saves us from the severity of sin. He takes care of it. And here's what that tells us about the Jesus I know. He meets me right where I'm at. After he talks about the they, and says, you know what? None of us are going to be perfect, so don't judge. Don't ignore it. Live in the lane of love. Give people a second chance, right? I'm here because Jesus continues to give me a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance, and a hundredth chance. I don't know why we feel like it's okay to not give somebody else the chances we've gotten. He says, let me give them another chance. I'm going to give her another chance. So he speaks to the they, and then he says, but neither do I. I'm not ignoring the severity of the sin. He says, I'm going to save you from the severity of that sin. And he meets us right where we are. Understand, this woman has not changed anything. She has not done anything to deserve it. She's not done anything to earn it. She has not changed a thing. And Jesus meets us right there, physically, spiritually, emotionally, meets her right there says, neither do I condemn you. He's right there with her. She hasn't done anything yet. That's called being a savior. That's Jesus giving grace without any conditions, without any strings attached. That's Jesus as savior. I don't know if you've ever seen, seen this happen. It's a really intense scene if you've ever seen it, and it's not something you necessarily want to see, but it's fascinating to watch is a lifeguard rescuing somebody that's, that's struggling out in the water, out in the ocean. It's a crazy scene where most people, you know, there starts to be a crowd, somebody notices something out in the ocean and the lifeguard sees it really quick. And the lifeguard does something that we hope would happen to each, any of us if we were out in the water, just takes off, jumps down from the spot they were at, grabs a little life thingy, and you can tell I'm a lifeguard, and then just bolts right? Runs across the beach, runs into the water, swims faster than anybody else, and gets to that person. Right now, 
what would not happen, what we at least pray and hope would never happen, is somebody struggling, somebody drowning out in the water, and for this lifeguard to step down, mosey on over to the beach and say, you're still a little too far out. Could you come this way just a smidge, and then I'll help you. Right? You would never see the lifeguard say, if you can get within the buoys, then I'll be right there. But you need, yeah, you're still too far. A little bit more. Keep coming. Keep coming. You're not there yet. Keep coming. No, it would be absurd, wouldn't it? No, what does the lifeguard do? Jumps down and goes as fast as they can to that person. That's what Jesus does in this situation, but he does in our lives as well. He meets us right where we are. He doesn't say, change first and then I'll show up. He doesn't say, fix this part of your life and then I'll be there. He doesn't say, well, once you get all of this in order, then I can meet you. No, he meets you right where you are. But he doesn't leave you there, does he? Could you imagine that same lifeguard swimming out, checking on you? You okay? You good? All right, I'm going to head back in. Let me know if you need anything else. (laughs) No, no, you're like, no, 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 take me with you. You want that lifeguard to not just meet you there, but then to get you to safety. And again, if you've seen this scene before, it's almost like the lifeguard drags this person in. Like they almost get them in a headlock, get them on their back, and then they start swimming all the way in. It's an act of complete submission for that swimmer. We can't really call them a swimmer if they're in trouble though, right? The kind of swimmer (laughs) where the lifeguard has to pull them all the way in. See, Jesus meets us right where we are, but he refuses to leave us there. That's what we see with this woman. He talks to the they. Here's your lane. You don't judge. You don't ignore. You live in the lane of love, full of grace and truth. And he talks about himself and says, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. I'm Savior. I give grace. But then he starts to talk to her. And you remember what he says? Go now and leave your life of sin. And he's talking specifically and directly to her as a command, as a demand. Says, now I'm expecting something now. And this moves Jesus. Understand this. He moves from Savior to now Lord. Savior says, I love you. I meet you right where you're at. There is the free gift of grace. You don't do anything to earn it or deserve it. You have it because I love you. And then next, get the order right. Don't get this order mixed up. Then he says, now will you follow me? Will you live the way I'm calling you to live? Will you do what I'm asking you to do? He tells his disciples this earlier on. He says, you want to be my disciple? Great, there's a cost. Anyone who wants to be my disciple, he says, must deny themselves, pick up their cross daily, and then follow me. That's an act of submission. The Savior saves us without any conditions. But then he invites us to follow him. Well, we do give up. For he is our king. For he is our Lord. And understand, you do not have to agree with your king. You do not have to understand your king. You don't have to always want to do what your king is telling you to do. If he is your king, then that's it. He is your king. He is your Lord. He's our savior, but he's also our king. He meets us where we are, but he refuses to leave us there. I'm going to teach you a phrase that I speak into my life over and over and over again. It's one of my little mantras, and if you've been here long enough, you've probably heard me mention this. Here's how it works. He's the king, and I'm not. I want you to repeat it with me. Say this. He's the king. king. One more time, like you mean it. He's the king, and I'm not. He's the king, and I'm not. Keep going. He's the king, 
and I'm not. He's the king. No, 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 no. Like emphasize the he part on that one. You see how we're going with this? He's the king. There it is. And I'm not. He's the king. And I'm not. And when you get to that place in your life, things change. He says, go now. There's urgency. Go now and leave your life of sin. Not try, not do your best. He says, no, I want you to change. Because he's savior, but he's also king. He's savior, but he's Lord. The Jesus I know is my savior. I haven't done anything to deserve or earn the grace that he has given me. And he has met me right where I'm at time and time again. My Jesus is my savior. The Jesus I know saved me. But the Jesus I know is also my king and he's my Lord. Which means I give up things. Which means I sacrifice things. Which means I submit to him. Which means I don't always understand or don't even always agree with. But he's my king. And I follow him. The Jesus I know is my savior and I'm thankful for that. I'm grateful for the grace that he's given me, meeting me right where I'm at. But Jesus as my king requires two things. Trust and submission. Trust, I gotta trust my king. I'm trusting that he knows better than me. I'm gonna trust that he knows more than me. I'm gonna trust that he cares even more about me than I care about myself. And I'm gonna give into it. And I'm gonna follow him wholeheartedly. So here's what I want you to do. Indulge me on this one. Just close your eyes. And, and the reason I want you to close your eyes is so that you cut out everybody else around you. I'm glad that there's a lot of people here, but there are also a lot of distractions too. I get it. I want to ask you two questions. The first one, is the Jesus you know your Savior? Is he your Savior? Has he met you where you're at? Have you said yes to that grace that he freely gives you? There's no strings attached. There's no conditions. There's nothing you do to earn or deserve it. He shows up because he loves you. Is the Jesus you know your Savior? Let me ask the other question. Is the Jesus you know your king? Is the Jesus you know your Lord? I don't always agree with and I don't always understand. And That's not the question. Is he your king? Is he your Lord? If he is, what is he asking you to leave? He told this woman, I don't condemn you, but go now and leave your life of sin. I believe Jesus tells us those very same things. Neither do I condemn you, Brian. But go now and leave your life of what? If he's your king, what is he asking you to leave behind? In order to follow him, what do you have to walk away from? The Jesus I know saves. He is savior without any conditions. But he's also king. If we'll follow him. Jesus, thank you so much for being both. For being full of grace and full of truth. In a way that we could never do like you do. Thank you for being Savior and Lord, Savior and King. And Jesus, I would pray that we would just lean into both of those, that we would recognize that you are with us, that you are right there with us and you meet us right where we are every time. There's nothing in our past, there's nothing in our present, there's nothing in our future that would hinder you from showing up next to us. And you love us regardless. But Jesus, may we not be stuck there. Just as you said to this woman, go now. What are you telling us to go now? What are we supposed to go towards? What are we supposed to leave from? 
Jesus, speak to our hearts. And may you be Savior and may you be King in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand up right where you're at. Patrick and the team are going to lead us in one more song. Let me leave you with this. After that scene of this woman caught in adultery and Jesus helping us understand our they and his reaction to us and how we continue to walk through our relationship with him and others, he says this, when Jesus spoke again to the people, very next verse, verse, 11, verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And I believe that this woman, when she heard him say that, it wasn't just Jesus is the light of the world, not just Jesus is the light, not just that Jesus is the light, but I think she would have said Jesus is my light. He's the light of my world. And when he becomes savior and king in your life, you begin to treat other people in the way that Jesus treated us. It becomes personal. And Jesus is the light of not just the world, but our world as well.